This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Media. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your weekly reminder that not everything that people have done in history is bad. Sometimes people do good things, usually against the bad things. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and with me today is my guest, Samantha McVeigh. Hello! Hi! You're host of the also stuff-related podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You. Very good, I am. A host of that show. How are you? It's been so long. I know it has been way too long. I'm okay. I had a lot. Everyone's like, this bitch hasn't been on the, me. I'm this bitch hasn't been on the show for like weeks because I um, took a vacation. And so now I'm back. And I love it. I feel like I've been at the beginning. I was at your first episode when it, which wasn't supposed to happen because, but then we had that whole, like the world is awful and Roe v. Yeah. Wade was t- uh, shot down, essentially, and I was on. And then I felt mm-hmm. like I came back on not too long after. I feel like it's a yearly thing, and I love that tradition because I get to see yeah. you at least once a year, which is not enough. But it's I'm 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 glad I get to see you at all, and that is Zoom is oh. the main way I communicate <laughs> with my friends. I have a totally normal social life on the mountain that I live on. Uh, you know what? I'm in Atlanta, and I don't get out either, so it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. okay. Fair. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I like having the excuse, you know? It's like, right. I used to like traveling in countries where I didn't speak the language, partly because I could just like sit at dinner with like 10 people around and have no idea what anyone was talking about. But I like understood why I felt left out. Whereas yes. when I go sit at a table with like 10 people and everyone's speaking this, a language I speak, I'm like, it's cool. I don't know how to socialize <laughs> this fine. Yes, that's um, the awkwardness of being at either situation gives me anxiety either way. So I'm like, why? Why Just stay at home. Just stay at home. That's fair. <laughs> well, also with us on this Zoom call is the one and only producer I've ever had on this show, and I won't hear any word otherwise, Shireen. Hi, Shireen. Hi. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Samantha. Wow. Uh, I love this trio. Yeah, I do too, Shireen. It's been also a very long time, and I feel like we're yeah. also on a timeline because I believe the first time we met it was around February before, right before the pandemic. You're not wrong. It was I, in 2019. I'm pretty right. sure it was 2019, but I'm not sure what the month was. But yeah, it's a pretty yearly interaction. You only exist once a year. That's okay. That's the way I like it. Please don't know I'm here except for that one time a year. And hopefully it's for good shows like these. That's no. the yeah. only time I want to exist. I think you'll like this this week's episode. I think so too. But I think I this like is a Samantha episodes. episode. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Whenever you say that, I get so excited because I know, first of all, you know me and I, I love that bit of me. And then also because with all the world being awful, I love to hear what you're going to tell me because I know there's some badass people that I'm going to be so excited about. That is the main thing that I hold on to with the fact that everything is awful is that the types of people that I talk about on this show are still here and people become those people when bad things happen. One of our cool people is Daniel, our audio engineer. Hi. Nice. Hi, hi Daniel. Everyone says to say hi to Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. 
Sorry for cat noises <laughs> in advance. Okay, bye. Yeah, sorry for all the editing. Uh, Our theme music was written for us by On Woman. So, Samantha, last time we had you, not last time, the first time we had you on, we talked about abortion access. And it was right before the House of Cards called Roe v. Wade fell down. That should not have been a House of Cards because the Democratic Party never did anything to shore it up since its precarity has been and continues to be one of the only ways they can get anyone to vote for an outdated capitalist party that essentially no one under the age of 40 actually supports. True story. That's my... Um, I like it. I'm over 40, but I also am in Me too, honestly, level. yeah. <laughs> we talked about the Jane Collective, primarily, yes. a group of women in Chicago who, coming out of socialist feminist tradition, set up a network that provided illegal abortions safely for years. We talked about a bunch of other abortionists during the era of illegality in the United States. No one writes the word abortionists. I have a feeling I'm using like a word that people aren't supposed to use. I think you're supposed to say abortion providers because like abortionist is like a bad word, but I'm kind of like, whatever, it shouldn't be a bad word. It's people who provide, like, that's great. Exactly. You say, I don't know if I've ever heard it, but I like that you're saying it. Okay, great. It might be, maybe it's just old timey. I hope it's just old timey. If you're listening and you are an abortion provider and don't want to be called an abortionist, I'm Kind of sorry. Um, I actually am sorry because I think you're doing something incredibly brave and important. Very brave. Anyway, this week, I've got two more stories for you about two different places and times. Weimar Germany, which was the brief period where Germany was a republic between World War I and the rise of the Nazis. And then those decades in the U.S., the brief golden era of the U.S. when the U.S. was a republic, you know, when, when abortion was legal in all 50 states oh, in the United oh, States. Oh, gotcha. I was like, that, what? When? Oh, okay. Yeah. I like it. I'm Between ready. Roe v. Wade and the now. Yes. The now. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Weimar Germany. And we're going to talk about California. Ooh. Two places that punks write songs about. I, I have no other connections to draw between these two places. <laughs> Good connection. Both have... No, Weimar Germany. Well, they were pretty... Anyway, whatever. Weimar Germany. (laughs) Okay, okay. Weimar Germany was a wild place. Like, do you know much about... I don't know how cultural zeitgeist Weimar Germany is. Like, I Yeah, I would not know. I do not know. And I'm ready for this because I'm like, who? When? When? Okay. Okay. Let's go. Same. Same. So so this is the era of, like, cabaret, like that movie... This is the era of like, it, Weimar Germany was a really wild place and one of the most interesting times and places in history. It was incredibly progressive and incredibly politically engaged in all kinds of directions. And it is, you know, basically 1920s Germany. It's 1918 to 1933. Okay. Everyone was fucking starving and everyone was fucking traumatized. They had just lost this war that they shouldn't have been in and it's kind of their fault, but wasn't. Well, it wasn't like the random German on the street's fault, you know? Right, right. And during the 1920s, so it's like famous for all the like, um, well, cabaret culture and all the like decadent art type stuff that's happening in a collapsing society, right? But there's also this wild political fighting going on between anarchists, communists, social democrats, monarchists, and fascists. Like all of these different groups are like, no, I'm going to be in charge. No, I'm going to be in charge. And they're all... um, getting into fights in the street about it. Culture was blooming. You have the first LGBT research center and gender-affirming care facility in Western history, including like the first uh, gender-affirming surgeries for trans women and things like that, um, which happened at the Institute for Sex Research, which if people want to hear more about, they can go and listen to our episode about gay resistance to Nazis. We talk all about that place and time. It's real neat, except for the fact that I think this is a little bit more commonly known. You know how, like, all the famous photos of Nazis burning books? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those photos are of them burning books about transness, basically, and, like, LGBT stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Because they torched this uh, the world's first LGBT resource center. Anyway. <sighs> yeah. That's the fun part of, like, all of history is just a dance between action and reaction and, like, positive mm-hmm. and negative forces and, like... I hate to think of things dualistically, but there's like bad stuff and there's people who fight the bad stuff. And it's almost like they, they went too far to the left or to, to, go, to good and they had to ricochet all the way to bad. You know what I mean? It's they, 
Which is what I'm afraid is what's happening right now in the United States. I was going to say, I feel like we're, play, we're playing that out. We're, yeah. we're watching yeah, that play out right yeah. now in the U.S. So. Yeah, basically they're like— And everywhere. <laughs> what do you mean gay people can get married and we let like people of other you know races and ethnicities like coexist peacefully? Right. Can't have that. How dare you? It was in its way—the Weimar Republic was in its way a very progressive society. But the laws hadn't necessarily caught up yet with society's viewpoints. Birth control and abortion were both illegal. Um, Abortion was illegal everywhere in the Western world at this point, except for the USSR. The revolution uh, legalized abortion, and then Stalin was like, just kidding, and got rid of it. But during this period, abortion is legal in the USSR. Mm. And so you have all these awesome folks living in Germany. You also have clearly less awesome folks who are going to take power in about 10 years. And they're like, well, how do we have abortions and talk about birth control when it's illegal? Who will do these crimes with and for us? Elsewhere in the Western world, at least in the U.S., where I've done more research about it, the answer to who will organize crime is usually organized crime, right? Kind of, mm-hmm. kind of famously. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., for decades, probably at least a century, if you wanted an abortion, you went to a mafia doctor. Even the Jane Collective, who we all love as heroes, their first doctors were almost certainly mafia. And don't want to conjecture too hard with people who are still alive. (laughs) Also, we talked about on our Stonewall episode, this is really just this whole episode is just to like go back and listen to all these other episodes. We talked on the Stonewall episode about how the old gay clubs were mafia run back in the day. So like Mm -hmm. most places, the mafia was the one providing the services that people needed and were not available legally, right? Mm -hmm. There's another group that's really good at organizing crime. You ever heard of anarcho-syndicalism? No. Please explain. Yeah, like like one time when I first became an anarchist, I went and I was like hanging out with my family and they were like, well, what do you believe? And I was like, well, have you ever heard of syndicalism? And everyone like turns to my grandfather, who's like the like wise old man or whatever, you know? And he like looks really deep in thought and he rubs his chin and he goes, now there's a word I haven't heard in a very long time. <laughs> Real <laughs> ominous. Yeah. So... Syndicalism, it's a workers' movement. It still exists. Syndicalism is a workers' movement that believes in forming workers' power through unionism, through forming Mm -hmm. unions, right? And it's as a way to build a better society. It's like not reformist-minded unionism. Uh, Anarcho-syndicalism, which is a very large branch of the syndicalist movement, in many countries it's the majority of it, in many countries it's not, in many countries syndicalism is more communist, Anarcho-syndicalism believes in doing syndicalism in order to create a society without capitalism in the state where like workers' councils collectively create society and and form all of our needs and things like that. Anarcho-syndicalists have this like, from a labor movement point of view, they have this reputation as like the wild radicals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Who are a little too into direct action and they all hate voting and shit, you know? For the rest of the anarchist movement, they're like, kind of bureaucratic and boring is the sort of reputation that they have because they're very organized. Okay. So they're perfect for this role. The union part gives them the organizational skills. The anarchist part gives them the affinity for crime. Let's do this. So in Weimar Germany, abortions were done by lay organizations. That is, they were done by not doctors, not even Mm -hmm. like clinics necessarily. And these organizations, they weren't branded as anarcho-syndicalists, but their leadership and their organizing principles came from that part of the labor movement. Basically, the women and sometimes men of the anarcho-syndicalist movement were like, well, here's a need. We know how to organize crime at large scale. That's what we do. Usually it's strikes and sabotage and things like that. And then they left off the branding of like anarchism and syndicalism because this was about reproductive health first and foremost. And so they set up all these organizations. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm now off script, but I'm so fucking interested by this because there's like, well, I'll just, okay, I'll just get into it. <laughs> this organization was done on a fucking massive scale. Like I'm not, I love Jane Collective. Right, right. That's like one city and one clinic. Right. In 1930 alone, these lay organizations performed a million abortions in Germany in one year. Damn. There was roughly 150,000 people in these organizations. They worked out of 200 locations. 
Wow. There was 200 Jane collectives. Right, right. That were syndicated together. They were unionized together. There about 15,000 people were like the really active participants. Uh, I, I ran across both the 150 and the 15,000 numbers. I'm under the impression 150,000 is the like the broader overall activist support. And the 15,000 mm-hmm. would be like people who are like more directly like this is what they do. You know, they're very active. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, that's still a high number. I know. And what they did, they weren't just like, hey, we're the abortion organization. Right. <laughs> right. What they did was that they were like, hey, we're the following minor crime organization. We are the sex education and birth control organization. We pass out contraceptives. We hold meetings where we talk about birth control, which is all like illegal and shit. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like kind of illegal. It's like, ah, ah, you caught me. I was giving out condoms again. Ah, My bad. Yeah. But... It's not really a secret that this above ground, but still illegal organization was where people went when they needed abortions. Mm-hmm. They also didn't charge money for abortions. Oh, wow. A million fucking. I just. Wow. For 10 years, 150,000 people came together to organize the entire country's abortion service illegally, safely, and free. Um. They organize, They used anarchist organizing principles and anarchist organizers, but they didn't label their organization as an anarchist thing. And not everyone engaged with it would have identified as an anarchist. Right. And it's fucking like unknown, like at least in English language shit. I learned about this a year and a half ago when I was actually doing research for the episode that I did with you last time. I found mm-hmm. the like one sentence version that was like, Oh, and by the way, there was like 200 clinics doing a million abortions a year in Germany that the syndicalists were running. And I'm like, can you can you tell right. me more about this thing that's more impressive than anything yeah. I've ever read in history? But it performed over a million abortions? Yeah. yeah. Damn. How long did they exist? So we'll talk a little bit about it, but it's like, I, I think that they ebbed and flowed. Mm-hmm. We're talking about roughly 1924 to 1933. Wow. That long. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I know that's not that long in real time, but in my head for an organization like this with yeah. an issue like that, it seemingly is a little longer than I would have assumed for an underground organization totally. like this. Totally. And so I spent the past year and a half trying to find out more information about this fucking thing. Yes. Uh, there is Thank one seven-page paper written about it in English by Dieter Nellis called, it does not have a very entertaining name, it's called Anarcho-Syndicalism <laughs> and the Sexual Reform Movement in the Weimar Republic. I mean, it's on the nose. Thank I know, you. right? Direct yeah. to the point. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Germans tend to be very literal namers. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Okay, so we talk a lot about abortion and birth control in this show, about people fighting for the right to control their own bodies and their own reproduction. What's interesting that we have to wrap our heads around every single time we try and cover any of these issues. Like, like for example, when we try and cover like trans issues, you can't just be like, oh, in 1880, there was this trans lady and mean the same thing that you mean when you say it in 2024, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because our social conceptions around these things, around sex and gender and, and all kinds of things are constantly shifting. And people are fighting for bodily autonomy, but how people frame that fight changes over time, and it hasn't always been the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious, when in, in your work with like... Um, because you all did, I mean, you all did a Jane episode and, and I'm just kind of curious, like how much you, when you talk about like old feminism, how often do you have to engage and talk about eugenics and like how big of a problem this was in the old feminist movement? Right. In general, when we talk about intersectionality and we have to talk about the ugly parts of this, especially today when we talk about white feminism yeah. uh, and, and what that looks like. And of course, eugenics can be under that as well. We kind of understand the background of Planned Parenthood and, and the conversations yep. we have about that because we praise Planned Parenthood, but we also know that there's some ugliness, as we talked about previously, yep. that as well. So overall, like, yes, we talk about the dark side of all of it, which makes us kind of bad guys to everyone. And when I say we, Annie and I, who is the other co-host, because mm-hmm. uh, we, I have been called out for saying things that they feel are f- offensive because they don't want to be associated with that type of feminism when in actuality it still is. So when we talk about like abortion rights, yeah. but then when we talk about um, sterilization against uh, the 
people, women of color specifically, and what that totally. looks like and why they did it, people don't really want to hear that truth because they don't want to face the fact that, yes, this isn't an argument against abortion rights in a way, not really, but right. it can be turned to that point that we've right. had this mini conversation, but we have to be understanding and sensitive to the fact that when it comes to uh, reproductive rights, we're talking about every part of it being right, whether it is choosing to have a child or choosing to abort a fetus. Like those are two different things, yeah. but same side of the coin type of thing, I guess. So we talk about it in realms of, yes, we're uncomfortable because yeah. for me, even though I'm a person, woman of color, I am also, uh, you know, very heteronormative cis uh, mm -hmm. gender in, in that level. So I have to talk about being uncomfortable when it comes to talking about LGBTQ rights in general um, yeah. or any queer rights in general. But like, I'm, I'm now just having this long uh, diatribe about this, but because it's not simple, it is simple and it isn't simple when it no, comes totally. to the fact that people want to bend what they think is their true, true rights or true beliefs and how oftentimes, sometimes, if you're a person who have any type of privilege, then that means that you are taking advantage. You could be, you're probably taking advantage uh, of someone else who are in the marginalized community yeah. when you do these things. Does that make sense? Was that yeah. really long? No, no, it makes sense because like <laughs> you think that your frame with which you understand things is the correct one and the only one, the universal frame, especially exactly. when you are in the like... When you are in the privileged position, you are presented when you are the default of something, right? right? As like a as like a white person, I am the default. But as a trans woman, I am not the default of that. You know? Right. But you know what else is really uncomfortable? Being supported by advertisers on an anti-capitalist <laughs> show. So that was great. I understand. Thank that you. Thank that you. That's good transition. <laughs> um, so here's some of those. Unless you have cooler zone media, in which case uh, your money went directly into my dog's food bowl and you don't have to hear ads. But <laughs> here they are anyway. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we're back. <laughs> I'm still laughing at that transition. Like <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I, I really struggle with talking about, kind of what you're talking about is, is that we have to talk about the unfortunate opinions that many early birth control pioneers had about eugenics. And mm -hmm. we also have to talk about how eugenics wasn't necessarily always a right-wing talking point. It was an everyone talking point for decades, which doesn't make it okay is the thing that we mm -hmm. 
you basically have this dark half a century between Darwin is like evolution is real. And then people realize watching the Nazis just like hammer home how, what eugenics is like really about at the end right. of the day. You know, that space in between is full of people in the right, left and center being like, wouldn't it be cool if we could kind of use evolution to like make everything better, you know? And there's this thing that happens that I, I ran across while researching this episode where people try to distance the historical eugenics movement, which they will call the part that believes that only the fittest should reproduce, and then the population control movement, which aims to bring down the overall population through birth control, but not in a targeted way. Mm-hmm. As much as I've ever read, and I think that, that okay, this, this difference comes after World War II, and people start making that difference. But before then, everyone, including the like people who don't, want to believe that they're acting racistly or ableistically or whatever, are using the word eugenics to describe what they want. And they meant it in a very positive way for whatever thing that they were trying to do. And the reason I want to talk about it is because, okay, so over the years, states, uh, feudal, capitalist, and socialist, have all gone to great lengths to control our bodies and our reproduction in whatever direction that they want at that time. When the USSR legalized abortion, they were the first Western state to do so in 1920. And it it was in part because they were like, hell yeah, we believe in communism and equality and everyone's going to be able to make their own choices, right? But a lot of it was because everyone was fucking starving. So choosing to not have kids was seen as something that you would do in solidarity with society at large. So they wanted to make it possible to act in solidarity with society at large. And if that is your own decision, if someone listening is like, I think that's too many people in the world and they decide not to have kids, that's great. Deciding that Mm -hmm. other people shouldn't get to have kids because you think there's too many people in the world or the state mandates it, that's when it gets real fucking bad, right? Mm -hmm. By the time Stalin got his claws into it, it's not quite just like early Bolsheviks were kind of okay and then Stalin was a man of evil, even though, whatever, anyway, um, people (laughs) can hear my my negative opinions about even the regular Bolsheviks that are, but whatever. By the time Stalin gets his hands into things, abortion was not only outlawed, but incentives were put into place to encourage people to have large families because having lots of kids was something you should do in solidarity with society at large. And so the state wants to control whether people do or don't have kids, but the lever it's using is class solidarity. The lever it's using is like be, you know, care about the rest of the world, right? To me, you can just cut through all this bullshit by being like, hey, a person who's pregnant gets to decide if that's a condition that they want right. to continue to have. Like right. that is just right. the larger social conditions can influence it one way or the other. But at the end of the day, our bodies, our choice. It's a good slogan. We can stick with it. <laughs> but the thing that in order to understand these German uh, abortion providers and also to understand folks we're going to talk about in the 60s and 70s coming out of like black power movement and all these other kind of places. People aren't thinking about it necessarily in the same frame. We have to look at things through people's own framing, own lenses in order to understand them. Two influences on people's framing about how they feel about abortion are religion, which we'll talk about later, and class consciousness. So in Weimar Germany, as it's famous hedonism and all this shit, But culture wasn't apolitical. People were thinking very consciously about what they do as it relates to these political questions. And specifically, the question of class struggle was like the fucking question in Europe in like the, I don't know, 19 aughts to the Nazis fucking changing everything in a real negative way. (laughs) That's my rant. Um, (laughs) So people tended not to see themselves solely as individuals, but also as actors within larger social frameworks, like the working class or the communist party or the anarchist movement or the fascist movement or the monarchy, whatever the fuck, right? People thought of themselves as part of a whole in a lot of ways. And I'm going to quote this German anarcho-syndicalist Max Winkler, who wrote in a, a pamphlet as a birth control pamphlet that his union was distributing. All workers' organizations are concerned almost exclusively with economic and political issues. 
Both the parties and the unions view the issue of sex as being insignificant, irrelevant. There once was a time when it was considered unrespectable to publicly address problems concerning sexual relations, and yet it is so tremendously important that the sexual issue be addressed without any trace of reticence, just as the hunger issue. For hunger and love are the two poles around which all human life and drive revolve. These two issues are so closely entwined that it is hardly possible to discuss one without considering the other. And so this was an introduction to a birth control pamphlet that his union, the Free Workers Union of of Germany, was publishing Mm -hmm. in the 1920s. More prominent still than that union was a syndicalist union called the Syndicalist Women's Union, which, um, again, very literal namers. That's what it was a union of. (laughs) You knew who they were. Yeah. No, that's true. I I will give them that. Like... (laughs) Not everything should no be named asked. like Prairie Fire or whatever. <laughs> That's the writer in you. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Which is funny because I ended up naming my podcast Cool People Did Cool Stuff. But I, <laughs> you know, I like that name too. I, I feel like as... It's a good name. Yeah, your your podcast name is similar enough that I think you know where I'm coming right. from, you know? Oh, yeah. I think it's perfect. Yeah. It's succinct. I like it. It's cool things. Cool people. Well, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> So the Syndicalist Women's Union, their primary social issue was sexual health and reproductive rights. As Millie Wicktop put it, the advancement of the intellectual development of women could not be possible without the liberation from the slavery of childbearing. And so how this ties into the like this larger class consciousness question is that they were pushing for a childbearing strike. They were basically, it was like a way, it was an attempt at like a women's strike. It was an attempt at, I don't know, it's complicated and we'll get into it more in a little bit. <laughs> But first, I want to talk about Millie, because Millie is really cool. Okay. And also, I think Ooh. the first person named Millie that we've featured on this show. I like it. This is just a nice name. It's a good name. Millie was cool as shit. She and her siblings, including another anarchist feminist birth control activist named Rose Whitcop, they, they made the mistake of being born in Ukraine in the 1870s and 1880s as Jews. Um, so they were like... This isn't the best time and place to be us. We don't want to be here anymore. So when Millie was 16 years old, she moves by herself to London, worked in a sweatshop to save enough money to get her three sisters and her parents to London away from the pogroms that were happening in Ukraine. Like, I can't imagine me at 16 doing any of those things Mm -mm. successfully. Uh, she could have quit right then and been a fucking hero, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, you know, I mean, obviously the world is full of these stories, but they're all fucking amazing stories. There's people who help their families escape from very bad situations, and that is an amazing mm-hmm. thing to do. But she kept going. She joined a Jewish anarchist newspaper, The Worker's Friend, which was the widest circulation Yiddish language newspaper in England at that time, at least according to one thing I read, another thing, whatever, anyway. I have this like problem when everything is like, oh, this is the biggest or this was the first or this was. Oh, yeah. I'm like. That's something that we talk about on our show a lot because we actually have a series about a female first type of uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. But we always have to put the caveat. It's you don't know who's controlling the narrative. You don't know what's been hidden, what's not been discovered yet. And so everything's under a caveat of what seems like a first, but that could change at any moment. And there are most likely other people who've already done it and probably people who are marginalized and are not going to ever get credit. Just a reminder. (laughs) No, totally. Like I've I've started making the joke of every time I'm like, the first time this happened in the world, I'm like the Western world, specifically Europe. It was the first time it happened in Europe that we know about. (laughs) That we know about. But anyway... Whatever. (laughs) This wide circulation Yiddish language newspaper in England called The Worker's Friend. Right, right. And it was built around a larger group uh, called The Worker's Friend Group, which was basically just people working together to provide mutual aid and care for like this poor immigrant, you know, anarchist worker population. She meets this fellow named Rudolf Rocker and they hook up. They get fake hitched, common law hitched. In leftist feminist tradition at the time, they refused to get legally married. Mm. And... I was very excited. I, as soon as, whenever I hear someone like Rudolf Rocker is more famous than her normally, although she, he's going to live in her shadow during this episode. I was very excited to he's, notice that he's only like three years older than her. Because whenever I hear about like, oh, and then this man yeah, with a right. beard, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> 20 years. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. no. She's three like 19. He's acceptable. like 22 or whatever. Like, it's, acceptable. It's completely fine. 
uh, <laughs> I have nothing. I've learned nothing negative about this man through his relationship with her. He's going to be a main character one of these days. Uh, he's going to be mostly in the shadow of his, his partner and his sister in common in law today. But the time that we brought him up before was his speeches and the anarchist unionism in the early 20th century in London that he promoted led to the connection between the Irish Catholic and Jewish working class that about 20 years later came together to smash the ever-loving shit out of British fascism at the Battle of Cable Street. Um, And it was directly, just to retell like one of my favorite stories in history, basically like while the Irish dock workers were starving because they were on strike and the uh, Jewish textile workers had just resolved their strike, the Jewish textile workers took in the poor, starving Irish kids who couldn't afford mm. food at home and like watched them for like five years or like however long for the strike to resolve. I don't have I don't mm-hmm. have the script in front of me. And so then later when the fascists were like, hey, Irish, you're like basically white. Unlike those Jews, am I right? The mm-hmm. Irish were like, fuck you. They fed me when I was 12. <laughs> You know, and then they'd like just organize together and beat the shit out of these fascists. Anyway, I love it. And that's how Rudolf Rocker came up last time. And it's just one of my favorite stories. So I want to tell it every chance I get. <laughs> it's a good name to go with it, too. I know. Rudolf Rocker is like a fucking. Yeah. It's a main Come character. On, yeah. yeah. It really is. And so he was this German dude. He had been raised Catholic, but he learned Yiddish because he wanted to organize as an anarchist in a lot of places in the early 20th century and late, late 19th century. And meant you learned Yiddish. I think he did it to impress Millie, is my best guess. Yes. Yes. The two tried to move to New York City in 1898, but they were turned away and deported, like literally back on the same ship that they came in on, because they weren't married and refused to get married. And they, mm-hmm. since they didn't let the state sanction their love, they were deported. And this became this, like, the newspapers and shit covered it. Not in this, like, what the fuck? Why didn't we let these people in? But instead, this like scandal about those fucking leftists who won't get married. Yes. Living in sin. Yeah. Trying to pollute the states. What? I know. I know. <laughs> with their sin. How dare they? The main tie into Millie with this whole thing is that later she's going to go start these unions in, in Germany, the Women's Syndicalist Union and stuff. But she lived this wild ass life. She goes back to London, right? Because she's not allowed to move to the U.S., she and her partner edited two Yiddish newspapers. There's the political workers' friend, and then there's a more cultural one called Germinal. And during World War I, they ran a soup kitchen together because everyone's like just fucked and starving, and basically anarchists have been doing food not bombs forever. And then first her partner and then she got locked up for opposing the war, World War I. When they got out, they were like, all right, fuck London. Let's go to Berlin. That seems kind of cool right now, right? It's 1918 or so, and they're like, Berlin's suddenly the Weimar Republic, and it's really cool. They're like, they get invited to help go start anarcho-syndicalist unions, and they're like, that sounds like our 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 jam. So they do, and they help form the the FAUD, the workers, whatever, blah blah blah. And Millie helped start not only Berlin Women's Union but also the Syndicalist Women's Union um, to unite all of the local anarcho-syndicalist women's unions. She hung out there until 1933 when the Reichstag fire happened. And she was like, I like really shouldn't be in Germany right now. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a really bad idea for me as a very prominent Jewish anarchist. Um, right. So she dipped. Her husband comes with her. Uh, I mean, it probably wasn't good for him either, but he, you know, he was German at least. Or I mean, whatever. Anyway. Um, and so they moved to an anarchist commune in upstate New York where they continue to be cool for decades and just organize. After World War II, the whole commune constantly put together aid packets for the anarchists in Germany who had somehow survived the fucking war. And uh, she lived to be 78. She died in 1955 wow. and just did so fucking much. Mm-hmm. Her sister Rose stayed in London and published anarchist feminist texts about birth control and kept getting arrested for it and was cool too. Very but cool. back to the Germany and the Weimar crime ring. And by that, I mean, back to ad break time. Now go. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we're back. We're talking about Weimar Germany. Nice. All right. So you have these syndicalist unions. They're distributing information about birth control. They're pushing for this childbearing strike. Basically, we won't have kids until conditions approve. And the Social Democrats were on this too, just credit where it's due. Radicals would write pamphlets with names like, how can we promote the cultural decline of births? As far back as 1913, and this pamphlet sold 31,000 copies. And this is kind of what I'm talking about, that framing and how it's so important to understand it from their perspective. You know, it's sketchy. And all of the like trying to control who gets to have kids goes Mm -hmm. really badly. Mm-hmm. but it's like worth seeing where they're coming from about it. The, the idea is that birth control can be a proletarian weapon because the sheer replaceability of workers and soldiers was part of why conditions were so bad in a very similar way as it also was a feminist move in which like this is like in the same way that like workers, well, the one thing we can withhold is our labor, right? From the owning class. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of different feminists perspectives are like well the thing that we can withhold is um well reproductive labor is the most annoying misidea mislabeled marxist term of all times but they can withhold having children Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't count as reproductive labor because anyway whatever fucking complicated ass (laughs) terms not written by women clearly Mm -hmm. maybe it was i don't know Fewer workers meant less competition for the same jobs, and it also meant that like, when both women and workers felt like they had more control if they pushed this line. I also think that they mostly just were like, I don't want to have kids right now, and like, I kind of want to fuck, right. but like, so what if we just find a way to make that happen? And then we're like, yeah, it's like for the revolution <laughs> or something, am I right? And they're like, yeah, totally. <laughs> You're cute. Hans, get way. over here with your mustache. <laughs> And so they started giving talks left and right, these like women's unions, right? And they're, they're finding that sometimes women would come and like they would join the union just long enough to get, I think you have to be a member to come to them. So they join long enough to get like the free condoms and the advice about how to not right. get kids. And then they would dip, which is like yep. fair, whatever. What'd you expect? They're, you know? for the, they're, they're for the party favors and then they're going to exactly get what they need. Let me get this. Thanks. Yeah. Like <laughs> I wasn't going to an activist meeting for the snacks. Um, I mean, but also the snacks. Yeah. <laughs> and at the beginning, there's one other group distributing birth control, and they're not doing it for free. The condom manufacturers, or the, I don't specifically know that it's condoms, but I believe it's condoms because, again, there's not a lot of information. The birth control implements or whatever, mm-hmm. which I assume by this point, because I have like eight times because of the show, like looked up when the condom came into common use, and it, it was a while before yeah. this. Anyway. There were clever loopholes in laws that said birth control could be discussed behind closed doors. And so they would have like these 
closed door meetings. But by 1923 and 1924, it's no longer the businesses and it's no longer the like unions. It is now these lay organizations that I was talking about. They take over as the companies back off. They don't actually, the unions don't back off. The unions become these lay organizations. Mm -hmm. The free workers of Germany founded a, a group called the VSL or Association for Sexual Hygiene and Life Reform. And they were like, we swear it's a totally separate group. It's totally not just our union. Like, I, we promise. And the cops were like, no, this is, quote, an association closely connected with the syndicalists, which recruited its members primarily from such circles. <laughs> so they're not fooling anyone. In 1928, the VSL and other lay organizations come together and form a, a union of lay organizations called the, the Reich Association of Birth Control and Sexual Hygiene. I think Reich in this case doesn't mean anything sketchy. And it stands for RV, or rather RV is what it is abbreviated as. And this group is strictly neutral in regards to politics and religion, but we all know where it came from, and the elected chairman was a member of the syndicalist union. And they ran sexual counseling centers all over the country in more than 200 locations, teaching sex education, distributing contraceptives, and performing abortions. Very few physicians in Germany at the time would fuck with abortions. So this is why, mm -hmm. like in a lot of other places, it's like crime doctors, but they're like doctors or mm -hmm. they're pretending to be doctors or they perform the role of doctors, but that's not their, they're not licensed or whatever, you know. But overall in Germany, the physicians weren't fucking with it. Either they were anti-choice or they were anti, I go to jail now. Mm -hmm. And so lay people trained in the performance of abortions. To quote Hans Schmitz, whose parents were anarchists, and he's just like describing what he saw as a kid. Father was active in the League, the local lay organization, the League for the Protection of Mothers and Social Family Hygiene, because why would you name your group anything other than that? <laughs> Back to the quote. Secretly, the League also aided women in getting abortions. There were several women who could be called upon when an abortion was to be performed. My mother had quite a bit of experience in this and was one of these women. Naturally, we were not allowed to be around, but the apartment was so small and it could not be concealed from us. A couple of times, my mother sent me to fetch Dr. B. He came when there were complications. And unfortunately for any listeners who are considering this, running a massive crime ring does have some negative consequences. Oh, no. What? I, know. I, I would argue overall it's worth it. I'm not doing it. Anyone listening, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Says Margaret on a major podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, a woman whose name is only given as Albrecht, so I'm guessing last name, from the Anarcho-Syndicalist <laughs> Union, was sentenced to three years in 1930 after this big national scandal show trial. Uh, she'd performed more than 100 abortions for the local chapter of the league. Louise Witch got 18 months in 1933. Suppose you could call it a witch trial, unless I'm mispronouncing that name, in which case you shouldn't. <laughs> the chairman of the RV was sentenced to prison at one point. I'm not sure how long he, he went to prison. And you ever heard that depressing thing where, okay, so like the Nazis came to power. This is the main depressing thing. They killed a fuck ton right. of people, right? And they put a lot of people in these camps, right? Famously. And some of the people they put in were, were in for being gay. And then after everyone was liberated, the gay prisoners had to stay in jail because what they had done was illegal before the Nazis too. Mm -hmm. You ever heard that? It's a terrible, fun thing. Mm -hmm. um, I had never heard that. Wait, they, they stayed in the camps or they just went to a different place? I think some people were like literally in the same place, but they oh did not God. get free. Uh, the gay prisoners did not get free after the liberation of them. Um, and this was true for both Soviet-controlled and allied or Western, well, U.S. controlled. Mm -hmm. I don't know the word for the allies who aren't the Soviets, <laughs> the capitalist powers. Um, well, they're all capitalist. Anyway, whatever. So, one of these abortion rights activists, I, I, these three that I've mentioned who've gone to jail are just a tiny percentage of it. They're the ones that this paper is specifically. The only thing I found about it was like, here's what the syndicalists were doing. So this is like the three syndicalists that this guy knew. Mm -hmm. But at least one of the other abortion providers 
or activists spent time in Nuremberg after the war charged with abortion and was not mm-hmm. freed because he, what mm-hmm. he had done, what, or she or what they had done was a crime. Mm-hmm. But again, million abortions a year, saving so many lives, just countless lives. These women performing these abortions, they were, quote, no bunglers, according to the paper. Or that the paper is quoting a, a person who saw it happen. Okay. Um, they knew what the fuck they were doing, and they did it for free. And go ahead. I feel like that was just like a, a phrase, you know, like yeah. how we, like a cool phrase they had to say during that time. They're like, no, no, they're for real. They're for real. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> totally. I can't wait till it swings back around again. And someone is like listening and they're like, what no bungling. They weren't bungling. Yeah. They're like, man, in early 21st century, everyone's like, that person's for real. But what they meant is they weren't a bungler. <laughs> I want that to happen quickly. I feel like culture moves fast enough that it'll happen while we're alive and we'll be like, what the fuck is happening? I'm yeah. old. Get off my lawn. Exactly. Like I feel that way in general when I'm like watching uh the fashions, I'm like, I definitely had that dress yeah, absolutely. In, in the eighth grade, and they're wearing that. Yeah. What am I going to do with myself? I'm well, hide my hole. They're already past the nostalgia for when I was a kid. <laughs> like, they're already past <laughs> 90s nostalgia. Right, they are. Anyway, I'm like, it's, if anyone's anyway, listening and they're on my anyway, lawn, get off it. Should get be off the here. lawn. <laughs> um, you damn kids. <laughs> Maybe that phrase is outdated. Who fucking knows? <sighs> Probably. All right. Wait, can we control that since we're the ones calling? Anyway. Okay, yeah, yeah, ahead. we create the cult. No, we are. We're, anyway. <laughs> we do not. Yeah. But speaking of the culture, this isn't an ad transition. Uh, <laughs> the culture that they were building is a fascinating one. And it's one of these things where things, people are like, our generation acts like it invented polyamory, right? For the German anarcho-syndicalists, women's liberation and sexual autonomy was not just a theory, they had vivid conversations all the time and they were also just fucking. And and there were plenty of women who were like, we believe in free love, but it actually needs to be love. All these fucking shitty, horny men are trying to use these political points just to fucking run and we think that sucks. There were, of course, also women who were doing the same thing too. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because it mirrors these discussions I've read about late 60s discourse and how hippie men were like 100% down with women's liberation on two specific issues, abortion access and birth control. Anything that reduced their responsibility and increased their access, sexual access to women. Um, Hippie men were a lot less consistent about their support of other feminist causes for some weird reason. Surprise. Um, So it's it's just a nothing ever changes moment for me yeah i was gonna say a lot of these things are happening today as we've seen uh well new organizations pop up as well but the whole like um going on strike from giving birth is actually familiar as well but um korea and japan have been doing that as of late too that's why the low birth rate and everybody's really really concerned because women have had enough yeah they're like fuck this i don't want children y'all don't give us enough pay and all you want to do is make us suffer yeah we're not doing this anymore but it's very similar to that level i'm like interesting and the government's like please for the love of jesus we'll give you more money (laughs) have a baby i mean it makes sense to me like i remember my um my older sister is a very strong feminist. Uh, I'm very lucky. My my whole family is very very feminist, and I remember my older sister kind of like sitting down. And I was like, I was like a young radical or something, and I was like, ah, oh, overpopulation. And my sister was like, Did you know that every single time you give women control of their own reproductive health, the birth rate drops to a sustainable amount? And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. They're like, You don't have to make <laughs> laws around it. You don't got to do shit. All you got to do is give people the right to choose about whether or not they get to stay or get pregnant. Right. Problem solves itself. It does. That's why there are so many of us that are childless. Instead, we get dogs. Yeah. Or cats. cats. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to put that in for you, Sheree. So that's like what I know about mm-hmm. this movement. I want there to be more. Uh, I know the sources. They are all in German. Maybe one day I'll be able to return to it. But all I can say is I'm proud as fuck of the German radicals who held down a million abortions a year 
seemingly all for free through horizontal organizing. And they didn't get preachy about it. Like one of the reasons that it's like hard to know about it, it didn't, people didn't even know it was tied into the radical labor movement because they didn't talk about it. Or at least, right. I, mean, I don't know, maybe they did. They're probably insufferable, Maybe in like German. all radicals. <laughs> insufferable. <Yeah. laughs> insufferable. I think we, I, I do want a documentary on this because, yeah, a million abortions, that is phenomenal. Yeah. And that fact that they were able to be that organized yeah. for so long with that many members, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know what else I'm proud of? I'm proud of all the feminists, black radicals, communists, and anarchists who came together in the Bay Area to organize abortion clinics and then defend them from organized right-wing violence, which we're going to talk about on Wednesday. I love it. I'm so excited. Hell yeah. But before we talk about that, we should talk about yes. you and your show. <gasps> Me? Yeah. Hi. Yes. Yeah, so I am on a show called Stuff Mom Never Told You, which we do talk about things like this, not the in-depth history of this, of only like you cool zone media people are that cool. We do very research based, very like nerdy based things, mm-hmm. including talking about Star Wars. Or for me, lately it's been about K drama. I don't know. Don't don't ask why, because I'm Korean and I'm trying to find myself. But anyway, cool. we also have a book uh, that we published. Um, it was released this year. Nope, last year. Oh God, what year is At it? At some point, yeah, 2023. Yeah. God damn, y'all. Uh, this is where I'm like, still 2023. Yeah? No? Okay. Anyway, it's still last year, we published. Three Somewhere years from there. now, it's you fine. published. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. The future. Yeah. We had uh, published a book. You can find at any of your bookstores. It's also on Audible if you want to hear Annie and myself uh, read out a book, which was a completely different process than podcasting that we have learned was difficult. But yes, you should come and listen if you like to hear things about intersectional feminism, nerd things, all the good things. Yeah. Shereen, yeah. you got any plugs? Nice. Nope. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I want to plug things. Uh, Do it. I have a... God. Okay. Uh, by the time you hear this, no, like a couple days after you hear this, sometime around when you hear it, February 1st, <laughs> 2024... We're releasing Penumbra City, the tabletop role-playing game that I helped write <gasps> that I've been working on for 10 goddamn years. Oh, yeah. We kickstarted it last summer. And thanks to your help, we raised enough money to put together a beautiful hardcover book with like embossed silver inlay on the cover and all that stuff. And so if you want to play a tabletop role-playing game or do what I did when I didn't have any kids, as friends as a kid, um, you can just read it and imagine you live in that fantasy world. <laughs> But nice. it's called Penumbra City. It's published oh. by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, and it is available if you type in Penumbra City or Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. I don't, I'm not going to give you a URL. No one types in URLs. Although now that Google is turning into an abyss machine that doesn't provide useful search information, maybe URLs are going to make a comeback. That's my plug. I'm also on Wait. Substack and Twitter and, uh, ugh, Twitter and Instagram. And Samantha, did you put your handles in? I didn't yeah. hear you. Do you want I didn't. people to follow you? Uh, if, you if you want you them can. to follow you, you can say no. Sure. You, you can follow, follow our not so active Instagram with uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You. Uh, also on Twitter as well. We are very not active on there. We kind of just let that die out as it should have. Um, we're yeah. also on TikTok. You can see nerdy things on that. Uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You as well. I am on as McBay.Sam on both Instagram and Twitter. Again, I'm not really active active on there. But hey, if you want to see pictures of my dog, come to the Instagram. Okay, but if you That's make Instagram, you can make memes that are like of your dog and it could be like, Mom never told me not to jump up on the counter. Oh my God. <laughs> you get all the stuff that your mom didn't Oh, that's right. See, this is what I'm trying to... Okay, anyway. All right, well, I'm clearly at the bottom of the barrel, so I'll see you all on Wednesday. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.